good evening. If you would like to go ahead and take out your Bibles, we will be spending the well all of our time this evening in the New Testament. I want to talk this evening about a word that, that well, it, this word has the ability to convey wonderful hope and, and, and comfort, and also at time has the ability to to convey fear and 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 strike. Uh, uh, levels of, of pessimism into, into those that consider themselves Christian. The word that I want to talk to you this morning, or the, excuse me, this evening, is grace. I want to talk to you about the word grace. Now this word, we, we find so much hope in the word grace. And there are times at which we sometimes shy away from the word grace. We may be afraid to, to just preach on grace and speak about grace because we're afraid maybe somebody might just take a little bit more freedom with the word grace than they ought to. But that shouldn't, re, that shouldn't make us want to shy away from this word. There's a lot that we can learn. It is a word that Paul loved to use. The Apostle Paul was fascinated with the word grace. In fact, every epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote, with the possible exception of Hebrews, if he was in fact the one that wrote Hebrews, uh, begins and ends with the mention of this word. If you want to go ahead and turn over to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1 where we read Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of, Thess- of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can do this with any of the, of the epistles that, that Paul wrote with, in, in his salutation and also at the end of, the, of, of, his, uh, of his letter. In verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 28, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Paul was definitely a fan of this word grace. So I want to look at it tonight and say, what does this word actually mean? How is it used in the New Testament Scriptures? What important things should we as Christians keep in mind concerning the word grace? I hope that in this study we should we spend a few minutes focusing our attention on this wonderful word, and I hope that we will focus our attention on the relationship that it carries with us. Let's begin first by just defining the word grace. The definition of grace is actually fourfold. There are four different definitions that one can find for the word grace. The first one is that which gives joy, pleasure, and delight. And this is the original idea of the word. And I'm going to tell you right now, the Greek word that grace comes from, I'm going to say it wrong. Because I listen to how it's said and I just can't make that sound. So the Greek word is charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. Uh, it is used in the New Testament in this way, in this way of idea of giving joy and pleasure. Um, if you want to turn over to Luke 4, in, in verse 22, where we read of, of Jesus' words and, and how they were gracious. <clears throat> in Luke 4, verse 22, where we read, So all bore witness to Him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of, out of His mouth. And, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? So gracious used this way in the New Testament to, to just convey that of these words Jesus spoke that gave people joy. The words that Jesus spoke gave, uh, spoke gave people pleasure and delight. And, and if we are going to be Christians, that is to say if we are going to be Christ-like, we should have this same, the, the, the same type of speech. If you want to turn over to Ephesians 4, verse 29. In Ephesians 4, and in verse 29, Christians would do well to speak the same way. Uh, where we read, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
So we need to be asking ourselves, we need to be considering, uh, just, just in the last week, we'll take that and, and look and say, have I, have I spoken graciously? Have the words that I have chosen to use, have they brought joy and pleasure and delight? Because we see this is an example of how the word grace was used in the New Testament. Another example for the way it was used is goodwill. Loving kindness and favor. And it is this way it is used of the kindness of a master towards his inferiors or towards his servants. But especially it is used in the kindness of God towards man. Uh, Thayer points out that Charis contains the idea of kindness which bestows upon one what he has not deserved. Uh, the New Testament writers use Charis preeminently of, of that kindness by which God bestows favor even upon the ill-deserving and grants to sinners the pardon of their offenses and bids them ex- accept a, of eternal salvation through Christ. This was uh, Thayer's definition of this word Charis. Now, maybe uh, to me, that's, that's a little bit hard to swallow. It's hard to understand the way he says that. So Ephesians 2, we're, just, we're already in Ephesians 4, so flip back to Ephesians 2, we get a better understanding of this. Ephesians 2, verse 5, Even when we were dead in trespasses, uh, speaking of God here in context, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. This is that particular definition of grace where we come up with this idea of, of unmerited favor. Uh, some, uh, receiving something that we just do not deserve. So that is yet another example uh, or a definition of grace. A third definition of grace is a spiritual state or condition in which one, uh, one enjoys God's favor. If you want to turn over to Romans 5, in verse uh, 1 and 2, we see example of this. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2, we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This same idea again is, is reiterated over in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter in verse 12. Where we read, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So again, another definition of grace is, is a spiritual state or a condition in which one enjoys God's favor. And then lastly, the fourth uh, definition is an expression of gratitude or, or favor. In 1 Timothy 1.12 we read, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who, is in, who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That word thank, that's charse. That's the idea of giving gratitude. This is what is meant when people might ask someone to say grace for a meal. That is to say, to give thanks for the food that that they are about to partake of. So such are the main ways that the word grace is used in the New Testament. In connection with this word, there are some things that the Christian should always keep in mind. I like to spend the rest of our time looking at Grace and its relationship with the Christian. And the first thing that we need to remember, the first thing that we need to accept is we are saved by grace. Salvation is first and foremost always a matter of a grace. We were just in Ephesians 2 and we read verse 5. Well, let's continue on in Ephesians 2 and read verses 5 through 8. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. See, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. We don't deserve His love. We don't deserve salvation. What we deserve is eternal damnation. We read this this morning in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short. But we can see if we can turn back to Romans and look over in chapter 6 that the consequences of that sin, what we truly deserve, is found in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's the, that's the reward that we truly deserve, death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the same idea, again, is, is reiterated in Titus. If we want to look over there real quick, in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves were also once foolish disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. No matter what God may may call upon us to do in order to, to receive His grace... Whether it be believing in Him or repenting of sins, baptism, confession... We need no way can ever say that we have earned or merited our salvation. Like Luke 17.10 says, no matter what we have done, at the end of the day, we are still just unworthy servants. I am still undeserving of the grace that God has given me. And we must forever remember that only by God's grace is salvation possible. Now, that being said... Hence the reason why so many people are afraid to talk about grace. Because when you give somebody an inch, maybe they might take a mile. We can say, well, that's great. Grace covers an abundance of sins. So what do I have to worry about? Well, that's our next point. Grace requires holy living. It's required for God's grace. Some people reason, they say that we are saved by grace. We are free to do whatever we wish. Because we have grace. But if we want to look over in Titus 2... Verses 11 through 13. We're going to see that, that Paul teaches that grace should teach us something else. In verse 11, For the grace of God, of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what he was teaching us. He was teaching us to deny the ungodliness and worldly lusts that we have today, but to live soberly instead, to live righteously and godly, be looking for a blessed hope and a glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. He requires us to live holy. And as he continues, he explains why Jesus in grace gave himself for us in verse 14. He says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us 
from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. He did this. He, he died on the cross for us. He, he showed this grace for us so that we might be redeemed from our lawlessness, but so that we might purify for himself a special people, so that we might be set apart for him. As we sang this morning, so we might become a sanctuary for Jesus. The unmerited favor of God, while, while we have to uh, understand that that is exactly what it is, it is no excuse to just continue in sin. But something else to remember is that this holy living that is required, well, it requires God's grace to be able to, for us to do it. To live soberly, to live righteously and godly, that requires the grace of God. If you want to turn over to Philippians, the second chapter. <clears throat> chapter. <clears throat> Chapter 2 and, and looking in verses 12 through, uh, through 13. <clears throat> we read, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. We have to remember we cannot do it on our own. We just can't. We simply can't do it on our own, but with God's help, we can with God's help, we, we, we can work out within us to do His good will. And in fact, in Philippians 4.13, we see that by His strength, we can do all things that He requires of us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So holy living requires godly grace. Another thing that we see is that we must be growing also in this grace. We must be growing. This is especially true if we are going to live holy lives. Turn over to Second Peter, the, the, the third chapter. In Second Peter, the third chapter, we have a commandment. We have a commandment, not a suggestion, a commandment. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. This is a commandment that, that, that Peter gives us. And, and we can do that. You might think, well, that, how do you grow in grace? Well, we learn in Acts 20, uh, verse 32, we, we see that one way that we can grow in grace is to heed God's Word. In Acts 20, 30, 20, 32, we read, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. One way that we can grow in this grace is that we can be spending time in God's Word and heeding God's Word, listening to it, not just letting it pass through our ears, but actually applying it to our lives. Another place that we read where we can grow is Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 where we read the benefit of prayer. Let us therefore, in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So these are ways that we can grow in grace through heeding the Word of God and through drawing near to God in prayer. And the last point that I want to give you this evening and one of the most, most important points that we need to consider is the fact that we can receive God's grace in vain. We can receive it in vain. Paul pleaded with the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 not to do so. <clears throat> he says in 2 Corinthians 6 and in verse 1, it says, We then as workers together with Him 
also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It is possible, having received God's grace, it is possible for it to have been in vain. One way that is possible is by seeking justification for sin elsewhere. In Galatians, the, the, the fifth chapter. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, where we read, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And we see example of this in, in, in our everyday life. We might see someone who says, oh, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I do pretty good things. I, I donate money to, to these charities that need money. And I help, well, maybe I helped orphanages and I helped some widows and I do some pretty good things. And yes, there's a lot of sin in my life and I'm just not willing to give that up. But you can't knock me for being, because I'm a good person. You see people that try to justify their lives elsewhere rather than seeking justification through God's Word. And in doing so, we read that God's grace, the grace that He bestowed upon all men for that person, it was in vain. It was in vain. In the immediate context that Paul was referring to here was the law of Moses. But if we seek to be justified by any other system of salvation, by works alone, well, we will fall from grace. Another example, or another way is possible is by using God's grace to excuse just licentiousness, uh, a sin. <clears throat> if we turn over to Jude, and verse 4, we see this is exactly what was happening. Uh, when, when Jude wrote this letter, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Men who, were, who I imagine were probably saying things along the lines of, you want to drink? That's okay. You can drink. And you want to live this immoral life? Well, that's okay. You can live this immoral life because have you not heard? There is great grace from God. And God's grace covers an abundance of sins. Using God's grace as an excuse for sin is just simply another way that we can receive God's grace in vain. And then finally in Hebrews 10, the 26th chapter, we see that those who willingly sin, that is to sin impenitently, they receive God's grace in vain. Starting in verse 26, we read, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common or yeah, by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of Grace? For we knew Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <clears throat> what he was saying here, for such a person, there remains no longer a sacrifice for sins because what He had done to, to the, the sacrifice that the Son of God had made, saying that He had trampled the Son of God underfoot, using the, uh, language like counting the blood of the covenant, Jesus' precious blood, by which He was sanctified, by which He was saved, simply a common thing. 
In fact, going on to say that He insults the Spirit of grace. All these ways point to how we can possibly receive God's grace in vain. What a terrible, terrible thing it would be to have received God's grace in vain. To have received God's grace at one point, but then to make it useless. Useless to us. I would also like to say that it is just as terrible to have never received it at all. Or or to have received it, but not to have grown in it. To stay in this immature state. So I encourage you all this this evening, uh, if we turn over to Hebrews... In the words of the Hebrews writer, we're in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. A few verses that I just wanted to read to you to encourage you. In verse 15 where we read, Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And in verse 28, I have this one on the board. Let us have grace by which we may serve God, acceptable with reverence and godly fear. See, we are to have grace in our service to God. For our service to be acceptable, grace needs to be also a part of our life. In, uh, in, verse, in chapter 13 and verse 9, we read, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that, that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. In verse 25 of uh, chapter 13, Grace be with you all. Amen. Have you received the wonderful, wonderful grace of God in your life? As I said before, the grace of God has been poured out upon all. Whether whether they, they have accepted it or not, God has poured His grace out. So my question for you is, have you accepted it? Have you accepted grace, God's grace in your life? And if not, why? Why have you not accepted it? Or why have you accepted it and not grown in it? Why have you accepted it and been content to stay a babe and not to grow and mature in the grace of the Lord? If there be something that, that you desire this evening, whether it be to become a Christian, to, to devote your life to Christ, or whether it be to simply request the help of the saints here, the prayers of the saints, I hope that you would consider to do so as we stand and sing the song that Carl selected.